The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. God, I, uh, I ask you for your guidance tonight. I ask for your, your words and your intuition as we go through this material. As I know, this is the material that really changed my life and got me on the right track in my recovery. Creator, I ask that you guide Jesse and I through this process and being effective and pulling up the proper experiences and words that we need to share tonight to maybe help somebody understand how important this is for the psychic change for a good life creator i thank you for my life today i ask that you send prayers to those on the screen and those off the screen that may be suffering from untreated alcoholism that you shine a light and maybe guide them to a room or to a zoom room and special prayers for the people on the screen that that they're guided in a right way and that they keep an open mind and they stay willing and they're honest with themselves to grow into the person that they're supposed to be. Thank you, Creator, for my life today. Hi, hi. You're here. Okay, so we're going to start in the big book and then we're going to move to the 12 and 12, 6, and then we're going to move to the start of 4. And we'll let you know at what part in the six, and then we'll take off in the four. Then we will go through the whole four, and then we'll, we will go back to originally where we stopped in the six. Let's describe the step from your experience or your opinion on what the step is, the importance of it, and then I'll follow you up quick. Yeah, I mean, so Bill's talking about what is the importance of step six, kind of giving a rundown of step six. Step six is important in the way that step one is important, right? So step one is very important because, you know, if a man doesn't understand his true malady or an individual doesn't understand their true malady, they got no shot in hell, 
right? You don't know the gravity of it. So in regards to six, six is no different than one, just of the defective character. So when we talk about self, we talk about running the show, selfish, self-centered, making decisions based on self, all of this is in the six. All that is found in the six, right? So, but even same with, same with one, just because you have the information in one, it could have little to no effect on sobriety. And so six is very much the same thing. You could have all the information on six. You could be properly informed on the defective character, how that looks in your life. But if it's not followed up with humility, for example, found in 10 and the latter steps, you still have no fucking shot. So typically with six, unless me and Bill are working with a retread or we're working with a dry alcoholic, this is a step that could definitely go over the head of a wet alcoholic, right? So, you know, you're going through six with them. You're chatting about, you know, anger. You're chatting about lust. And sure, some of that was illuminated in the in the four and five process. But, you know, the guy's going to still be like, listen, I'm a meth head, bro. Like, listen, I'm a crackhead. Like, don't be talking to me about anger. Like, it doesn't really compute. It's only when a guy has, you know, a couple of months to at least a year that he understands the gravity of his own thinking, not only in regards to alcohol, but in regards to life in general, right? And it kind of goes back to that step five piece where the individual is talking about his own thinking and he understands that he can't trust his own thinking throughout the five process. Well, the six is very much the same. My own thinking in career, in relationships, finances, health, all of it's fucked not just alcohol. And so to rope it back in, bring it all together, that is what step six is, is the realization of the gravity of self and moving toward its correction in the latter steps, not toward its correction in the six. And to follow off of Jesse's coattails, you talked about understanding self. Well, in step three, it talked about selfish, self-centered, and that we think is the root of our troubles. We must be rid of it or it kills us, right? And if it doesn't kill us, it makes our fucking lives pretty miserable. And what step six is, is it's actually step three in live action. And we've talked a lot on this big book study about being able to step away from self and see self. And that's kind of the premise of what step six is. It's about being entirely willing to relinquish the things that cause your failure, you know, Step six to me is the most important single step to understand in the program, really. It is step three in live action. And step six is actually work through the practical application of step 10. So as we read that step three prayer, God build with me, do with me as thou wilt. We get on our knees and we say this prayer and we're asking God to do something. Take, strip us down, strip out the self and rebuild us better. You know, relieve me of the bondage of self. Take away my difficulties so that I can be of better service to you, God. And that step three prayer has step six written all over it. If I'm willing to have God rebuild me, I got to fucking, as victory over these things may bear witness. As I'm victorious over these defects, only with God's help, though, because we can't really change on our own. 
But if I'm willing and able and I'm honest enough to bring God into the moments where I'm using these defects, they can be relinquished. And then through the process, I'm actually getting built new. But the rebuilding process is not fucking fun. It's very painful. The pains of drinking have to come before sobriety and the inner turmoil before serenity. There's a lot of inner turmoil by working on the shit and doing something different because you've always done what you've always done. But those are the weapons that aren't serving you anymore. So we got to try something different. And then these weapons that we use, it's just like the alcohol. The alcohol used to work and it expanded your life till it turns in its flight and cuts you to ribbons. It's the same with these defects. The defects turn in their flight and they start fucking cutting you up. And then you want to change, but how do you change? You can't change. Most of our behaviors, you know, you hear in society, oh, just do this and change. Just do that and change. Good fucking luck. Those those behaviors are so rooted. Our problems we think arise out of ourselves, they're, they're coming from a deep place. So we got to do some processes to really change. And I've, I haven't found anything better than working with God in the change of my character. Because if I could have changed before, I would have. And just to, before I jump off and get Jesse to start reading, Please take away my difficulty so that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. The word difficulties is my fucking defects, and they actually cause me all my difficulties so that victory over them. The word victory means there must be a fight somewhere. Yeah, there's a fight within myself as I'm trying to relinquish these things. But if I fight hard enough with God's help and God's courage and God's love, I am successful. And then I can use this so I can be better of service. And there's a line in step 12 where it says, this is really important. It says, faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, it must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. The ideal of God, the, the theory of God is insufficient. To be vital, to give you life, and it's very important at the same time, must be accompanied by this, self-sacrifice understanding self, sacrificing it in that moment where it's painful. And then through the self-sacrifice, understanding self, sacrificing it, we, we can put in the unselfish constructive action because it's just a normal path to the process. So as we go into the four, you'll start seeing some of the identification of self. Anyway, let's go. Okay. Page 75, bottom of the page, returning home. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we've asked, we ask if we have omitted anything. If we are building an art through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make motor, motor without sand, martyr without sand? If we can answer to our satisfaction, then we look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. 
We are, are we now ready to have God remove from us all these things with which we have just admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, everyone? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us to, to be willing. Okay, so just to start off where Jesse was reading. After we do the step five, we go into this process where we read this bottom part of the paragraph and then we implement these strategies. So I return home after a five and I find this place where I can be quiet for an hour. It's telling me exactly what to do. And you've heard us talk about the directions. These are clear cut directions right here. You go home and you find a place where you can be quiet for an hour after a five. Carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our hearts. We do that. We thank God from the bottom of our hearts. But maybe you don't feel different, but it doesn't matter. It's about following the direction. And it says, thank God from the bottom of your heart. So we do that, period. And as you're sponsoring, you just let these guys know that that is the directions. Which is why Jesse and I use the original manuscript, because it really emphasizes the directions. Because when these directions are followed, they produce a result, right? And the, the result is we can stay sober, but the bigger result is we can be launched into a fourth dimension of life that we couldn't even have dreamed. And that's really true. Um, taking this book down from the shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, the first five steps. We ask if we have admitted anything. Have we left anything out? For we are building an arch which we shall walk a free man at last. So that arch is what we pass through to freedom. So we need to make sure that all the stones are properly in place. Step one, two, three, four, five. Have I been honest? Have I been fearless? Have I been thorough? Am I still holding on to something that I won't let go? I got to really fucking get honest here because step six is really important. Okay. It is walking through the archway. And if you're hiding and if you're lying, if you're not invested in this decision, then it doesn't fucking work. You know what? The house of cards falls down and you're fucking drunk. Seen it over and over. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put in the foundation? The foundation is the God part. You know, upon the simple cornerstone. That's God. Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Am I doing half measures? If we can answer to our satisfaction, then we look at step six. And step six, the principle behind it is willingness, right? Am I willing to fucking change is really the name of the game. Am I really willing to change? Because the doctor's opinion says if I don't have an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of my recovery. And I've seen it. If you don't change who you are fundamentally from the core in, the core out, you won't stay sober. And if you don't change and you're able to stay sober for whatever reason, fucking life still sucks. So we got to be willing to really try to make a change in who we are. Okay? We emphasize willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. And if you're still clinging to something that you won't let go, 
because a lot of these things, they're hard to let go because there's a lot of comfort in them because we've been using these defects for a long time because we get a sense of security out of some of them. But as long as you're willing, you just keep asking God to be willing. And when you're willing, when you're praying for willingness, there's a day where it comes and it's like, okay. And then you cut the, you cut the tie on it and you can start moving towards something different. So we're not looking for perfection here, right? We claim spiritual progress rather than perfection. We're just trying to keep growing in a spiritual way. Um, that's it. <clears throat> okay. Just to kind of um, extend a little bit of what Bill's talking about. In the step six, 12 and 12, it does set perfection as a benchmark in the defective character. That is the benchmark. But because we were, we're human, we'll take the progress at the end of the day. But perfection is always in sight. That's what we're striving for. Um, especially in the sex, uh, step six, and especially once some of this stuff starts to, starts to become understood, the defective character. So in regards to what we've read in the big book, um, <clears throat> step five promises, the two main promises that I uh, illuminated were like of utmost importance for sobriety and to highlight the whole, the, the step as a whole as to why it's necessary for a new individual who is still fighting the alcoholic insanity. They need two promises found. They need the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly and uh, feeling the nearness of their creator, right? So a lot of the times and not always, but often when I do a five, depending on how long it is, eight hours plus, I mean, I'll walk away from that feeling absolutely hammered. Like I feel emotionally drunk, drained, and same with the other, and same with the guy I'm working with. So in that moment, what we're trying to do is feel the nearness of our creator. So as soon as that channel is actually open, generally for the first time in this individual's life, they're going to want to make contact, conscious contact fucking immediately and that's why returning home you're going to review the first five proposals and you are going into a, a heavy meditation an hour meditation is longer than you know any other attempt most likely at meditation for the individual when they meditate in that time what i tell my guys to meditate is the honesty in the conversation so, for example, in step four resentment, when we go through that process, it's not the who and the what he's going to be meditating on. You know, it's not even really the effects mind. It's going to be that individual's part or harm um, in the honest conversations that were talked about in that. So quite often when I'm going through, uh, let's just say it's resentments, when I'm going through resentments, um, I will bring us up to speed generally every three or five, right? So we'll go through three or five resentments. Um, if it's the first number of resentments, that could be three hours. And so what I'll do is I'll bring it up to speed and I'll reach out about that individual and this individual and keep on putting um, into the conversation, the honesty. That way, by the time they go into the meditation, it should be somewhat at the forefront of their mind. 
some of the heavier conversations that we've had. It is often that when we start ta- talking about the honesty in the step four, you know, he this individual could be moved in those types of conversations, which is all for the better, because that means that it almost burns an impression on his mind. And it, it's just easier for that individual to bring it into um, the meditation. But I think that's all I want to share. Yeah, so always anything else? Okay, you're good. <clears throat> okay, step six, 63 in the 12 by 12. You want me to go page by page? Stop right here. Sure. Okay. Uh, step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, page 63. This is the step that separates the men from the boys. So declares a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of AA's greatest friends. He goes on to explain that any person person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without any reservation, whatever, has indeed come a long way spiritually and is therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his own creator. Of course, the often disputed question of whether God can and will under certain conditions remove defects of character will be answered with a prompt affirmative by almost any AA member. To him, this proposition will be just will be no theory at all. It'll be just about the largest fact of his life. He will offer his proof in a statement like this. Okay, before he reads on, we need to stop there. So the beginning of this paragraph, it says, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. A little bit later down in that paragraph, it says, any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without reservation, whatever, has indeed come a long way spiritually. Therefore is entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in an image and likeness of his own creator. What separates the men from the boys? Well, the boys are going to do this this part of the program very half-ass. There's a lot of things that I get out in life and I gain personally benefit in that moment. But I don't really gain the benefit in the moment in the long run, okay? I get some type of a payoff when I act out in anger because I get that feeling of superiority right now but it actually doesn't serve me in my life going forward. When I act out in lust and I take that easy piece of tail, it doesn't actually serve me down the road, but it looks like it serves me right now. It looks like I'm getting some self-benefit out of it. And the boys will continually go for the easy, the easy road. How hard is it to fucking bite your tongue and not say anything and be kind? That's fucking hard. How hard is it to not take the easy piece of tail when you know that you could? That's fucking hard. How hard is it to find a bunch of money on the ground and then give it back to the person that you saw drop it? That's hard. It's easy to just put it in my pocket, look around and carry on. This is the kind of shit we're talking about. And it gets even more subtle, like way more subtle. But we'll get more into that in the step four. So any person capable of enough willingness, this is the principle, willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six 
on all his faults without reservation. Now that's fucking what we're talking about. That's raising our eyes to perfection. I'm trying to do this repeatedly every single time, every single time, every single time. On all my faults, every time I see that I'm acting out in self, I'm acting out in anger, I'm acting out in lust, I'm acting out in aggression, I'm acting out in something that doesn't serve me. Most of these things that don't serve me, I've already learned in the step four and the five. Without reservation has indeed come a long way spiritually. And it's the reservation part that sometimes gets us. Because as we get into some of these situations, we're going to be willing, maybe, mostly. We're going to be pretty honest if we can. But then without reservation, we'll always stop and think, how is this going to affect me? What am I not going to get? Or what am I going to lose by fucking doing this? So there's reservation. And the reservation that we're trying to get rid of is that, okay? What we want to do down the road, this will come as we keep doing this process we will act in love, we will act in kindness, we will act in compassion without reservation. When you see somebody getting fucking bullied by somebody else verbally in the program, right now we'll stop and go, fuck, I don't wanna get involved because I don't want that kind of shit in my life, right? But later you'll know intuitively that you act in a good way, in a loving way without reservation. And I don't mean you go and interrupt this. Maybe you take the guy who's beacon off aside, or maybe you take the person who's putting up with it aside and you say something centered in love and compassion and give them some guidance somehow. Right? So any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without reservation has indeed come a long way spiritually. And this is where the self-sacrifice is. And through the self-sacrifice, I get to grow closer to God. This is where you get to really grow closer to God, is in this relinquishment of the subtle character flaws and the more glaring ones as well. But it's the more subtler ones down the road that you really gain a connection with God. Then it says, of course, the often disputed question of whether God can and will under certain conditions remove defects of character will be answered with a prompt affirmative by almost any A member. Well, it almost seems like, how's God going to help me with some of this shit? How's God going to help me with my self-pity? Like, my life's always been like this. Do I really think this fucking imaginary thing is going to help me with this when I've lived like this my whole life? Well, if you believe that it ain't going to work, you know what? It ain't going to fucking work. The man who believes he can and the man who believes he can't, they're both right. I believe that God could help me in this area. And I'll tell you right now, God has fucking helped me so much in my life in all of these areas. And then it says to him, this proposition will be no theory at all. To me, this proposition is no fucking theory at all. It will be about the largest fact in his life. That's my truth right there. This is the largest fact in my life, which is why I love step six which is why when I go to the rooms, I am about step six. I really try to emphasize step six. <clears throat> I was working with a person today. We had about a three hour session on the phone and they're just stuck in self-pity. They're stuck in morbid reflection. They're stuck in depression. 
And when I told this person, I was like, you have to be totally willing in those moments, right when you're aware, and you have to do something different now. Because if you don't do something different, you'll always do what you've done. Our problems we think arise out of ourselves. These problems are deep down inside. And I'm just going to explain it like this. No, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till we do uh, the reading and the, the step four. So just to wrap up, very important step. The step separates the men from the boys. And honestly, in the program, most of the people working this program are boys and girls. Because most people just want to fucking get what they want. And they don't really want to fucking do this at the level that is that this is talking about. And you know what? They're settling for crumbs. They're settling for crumbs because if you really dig into this and the payoffs don't seem like they're coming right away, but that's part of the, the gift. Everyone else is doing that. When one person, me or you are just doing this, the payoff comes down the road. That self-benefit that you think you get by acting in those defects doesn't actually benefit you in the community of views as time goes on. But as you do this work, the character that you become actually will attract to you what you've always wanted. And you won't need to settle for that easy piece of tail because you know what? Water finds its own level. When you've become a good person and you're living with morals and, and character, you attract other good people. You can attract a woman or a man who is actually like you because water finds its own level, right? Anyway, that's it. So the difference between the boys and men is the boys will strive for a self-determined objective and the men will go for the ideal of perfection, which is God, right? So how that looks is uh, this individual goes through the step, step five. They have always known that anger is a big deal for them. So they quickly work on that, right? But lust, not so much. Maybe greed, not so much. So maybe they're getting involved with newcomers. Maybe they're doing this, they're doing that. Like quite commonly, you would see an individual in the rooms, talk a good game. The meeting's over. They crank up the tunes, peel out of the driveway, going 70. It's a very good example of a boy, right? And like Bill said, most people are children in this area. And so what really makes me laugh about this step is like, I'll go to a room tonight and it's step six. And what I'll hear is I'll hear people talking about, you know, maybe swearing and spitting and tardiness, which is all said and good, but that is fine tuning step six. So these individuals are talking about this kind of shit. I remember... Bill was sponsoring a guy who was much, he was very old in his seventies and he was still smoking crack. And I remember having a discussion with this guy. I think we found that out later, but we, I, I had a discussion with this guy at a meeting and that's what he's saying. He said, you know, Jess, I just have to work on my tardiness. I just have to work on that and a little bit of swearing. I'm looking at him like, dude, you're actually smoking fucking crack. Like we knew that at that point. And I honestly cannot fucking tell you how common that is, right? I'll listen to somebody and they'll say the same spiel, something similar to that. And I'm like, dude, I know you fucking go to rub and tugs. You're going to rub and tugs, but you're talking about tardiness. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right? Like 
that is, that's the fine tuning. That's what I work on today. I'll give you an example. So I'm doing a, a sales budget for work and um, I have to reference last year's budget to get a good idea of this budget, it kind of like a, a point of reference of where I need to go. And the individual who held my position last year was so fucking off this budget that I can't help but feel superior as I'm crunching the numbers and shit, eh? And it's so difficult when I'm on the phone with like my director or other salesman for me not to just fucking rip this guy apart. It's so fucking difficult. Because it makes me feel good about me in that moment, right? Yeah, buddy, what a fucking jerk up. He's like a hundred grand off this account. Guy's a fucking dink and blah, blah, blah. And so there has been other things that have come up with this individual that has come up in conversation. And so not only does this budget make me want to tear this guy a fucking part, but other people are bashing this guy to me. And so the temptation around this is fucking phenomenal. And the last week I've really had to bring God in because I don't want to be that man anymore. I don't need that. See, I don't need superior. I don't need to feel superiority over my fellows or with my fellows in conversation because I'm all right here. So if I'm all right here and that's how I go into the conversation, I go into the conversation a whole person. I don't, it doesn't matter what watch I have or what car and all this other stuff to make me feel like a, a proper human being for the conversation. I go there a proper human being and I don't need to fall into that, into those fucking areas, right? But that step six, make no fucking mistake. Step, Bill will put a lot of emphasis on step six and where that originally comes from is because, because of our own characters but because of the gap in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous on this step. That's originally where it caught on. And then from there, it just snowballed and understanding and effectiveness snowballed to where he understands that what he, this is what he understands. If I am going to boil everything down, it's this. Step one is a catapult is meant to drive you to five. Step six is meant to drive you through the rest of the program. So Bill understands without six and seven, there is no rest of the program. And even if you manage to get 12 without understanding six, you are fucking on some of the most shakiest fucking ground you possibly can be. And I can't tell you how common it is for somebody to go through six with not even a snippet of understanding of the information, which is quite common, right? And this is a lot of the guys that me and Bill deal with when they're dry. They're full-blown alcoholic. They understand to a great extent everything we're talking about, but they have no answer for them. They don't think the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is meant to serve them because they're going to rooms and these rooms are saying, don't drink and go to meetings. And somehow that equals happiness. Well, you minus alcohol, you know, my only solution to life, you minus that. It does not get fucking better for a guy like me. It gets worse and it gets worse very fucking quickly. And that's here, right? That's the skewed thinking's not only in regards to alcohol. It's in regards to absolutely fucking everything. So let me just fucking reference the material. I think I got everything. I got everything. Anything else? No. All right. <clears throat> Perhaps a little bit of water here. 
Sure, I was beaten, absolutely licked. Page 63, bottom, uh, bottom paragraph. My own willpower just wouldn't work on alcohol. Change of scene, the best efforts of my family, friends, doctor, and clergymen got no place with my alcoholism. I simply could not stop drinking and no human being can seem to do the job for me. But when I became willing to clean house and then ask a higher power, God, as I understand him, to relieve to release my uh, obsession to drink vanished. Uh, it was lifted right. It was lifted right out of me. In AA meetings all over the world, statements just like this are heard daily. It is plain for everybody to see that each sober AA member has been granted a release from this potentially, um, from this very abstinent, potentially fatal obsession. So, in a com very complete and literal way, all AAs have become entirely ready to have God remove the mania from alcohol from their lives. And God has proceeded to do exactly that. Having been granted a perfect release from alcoholism, why then shouldn't we be able to achieve by the same means a perfect release from every other difficulty or defect? This is a riddle of our existence, the full answer to which may only be in the mind of God. Nevertheless, at least a part of the answer to it is apparent to us. When men and women pour so much alcohol into themselves that they destroy their lives, they commit a most unnatural act, defying their instinctive desire for self-preservation. They seem bent upon self-destruction. They work against their, their own deepest instinct. As they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by alcohol, the grace of God can enter them and expel their obsession. Here, their powerful instinct to live can cooperate fully with their creator's desire to give them new life. For nature and God alike, abhor suicide. Okay, second paragraph on 64. Having been granted a perfect release from alcoholism, why then shouldn't we be able to achieve by the same means a perfect release from every other difficulty or defect? Then he has a question mark. This is the riddle of our existence. Well, what does that mean? It means the riddle can't be answered. It's the riddle of our existence. We can't answer that in our human form with our limited thinking, okay? The full answer to which may be only in the mind of fucking God. That's where the answer lies. There's one who has all knowledge and power and it sure the fuck ain't me or you. It's God. He knows. He knows the riddle to that answer. Um, nevertheless, at least part of the answer is apparent to us. So I hear people in the rooms often say, I don't remove these defects. God does it. I just, I just come here and God removes these things. Bull fucking shit. If you don't align yourself and become willing and expose these things and look at them and accept what they are, they don't go away. God just doesn't take it away from you because you think that that's what it says on the board at the meeting. Right here, it tells me part of the answer is apparent to us. And on the next page, it rehammers that home again. But what I want you to do here is I want you to flip to page 39 in the 12 and 12. Just quickly, I'm going to read just a little piece here that ties into this. So the first full paragraph on page 39, step three in the 12 and 12. So how exactly can the willing person continue to turn his will and his life over to the higher power? Because essentially that is what step six is. He made a beginning. We have seen when he commenced to rely upon AA for the solution of his alcohol problem. 
But by now, though, the chances are that he has become convinced that he has more problems than alcohol. It's separating two things. God, maybe AA can help me remove the fucking alcohol from my life. Period. That's it. But by now, if I'm willing to keep moving on and work this, I start to see that I have more problems than alcohol. And some of these refuse to be solved by the all sheer personal determination and courage that he can muster. I can't solve my own problems with my own sheer determination and muster. I can have these moral and philosophical convictions galore. I wish I could live up to them, but I can't. As marshaled by my own will to just try to change, I fail and I fail utterly. I must have God's help. They simply will not budge. They make him desperately unhappy. And we're talking about the dry alcoholic who's not working a program that doesn't bring God into all the other areas. And maybe the AA program, like it said here, relieved him from his substance, but he hasn't actually had the real work done or doesn't want to be willing. Or maybe he never heard the message like Jesse and I didn't hear it. The reason why we're like this is because we never heard anyone ever talk about step six ever. And then once we started like burning our lives to the ground, and we'll maybe get more into that as this step goes along, because we were fucking on a banana peel trail like you couldn't believe, but we didn't know really what to do. And then you call somebody and all they do is just talk to you and fucking give you some advice. They never guided us anywhere. But then we took it upon ourselves because we were working together out in Saskatchewan and we had already been through the program and it relieved us from alcoholism. So we kind of looked at each other and went, you know what? Maybe the answer, the answer is probably in these books. Why don't we look? So we started reading. We started in step six. And that was the beginning of true kinship of us with our God, a brothership and a fucking great relationship with our higher powers. And then we haven't stopped. And through the years now, this has been years now, we've really, really pieced together a lot of what this program is, how it like rolls together like a ball of yarn. Because the steps aren't linear. They're all mixed together and they all work together. But step six and seven are right in the middle. You want emotional sobriety? Step six and seven are about it. Because if you don't, like it says here, make him desperately unhappy and threaten his newfound sobriety. Yeah, it will threaten your sobriety if you don't work on the shit that we're talking about. Because fucking the alcohol and the drugs is the solution to you living in these defects. Being convinced that self has manifested itself in various ways is what defeated us. That's what fucks us is living in self. Living in restless, irritable discontent. And if I keep living there, I don't have a choice in the, in the matter of drink. I will succumb to the desire again. I will pick up without a fucking choice. The thing about people going through the first, second, third year is as they kind of up their station in life, they get more, they get a better job, they get married, they start having kids. Self bleeds itself back in there. And then the ego is now attached to the theory of God. And then they're fucking actually burning down their life again. So it's really important to like see that and understand that. We gotta stay vigilant, we gotta stay diligent. 
Anyway, so the next paragraph on 64, middle paragraph. When men and women pour so much alcohol into themselves, they destroy their lives. They commit the most unnatural act, defying their instinctive desire for self-preservation. They seem bent upon self-destruction. They work against their own deepest instinct. As they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by alcohol, the grace of God can enter and expel their obsession. Here, their powerful instinct to live can cooperate fully with their creator's desire to give them new life for nature and God alike abhor suicide. So that paragraph on the surface makes a lot of sense, okay? Most of us go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But now I'm going to take it in a little bit different spot. Um, they work against their own deepest instinct. As they are humbled by the triptych beating administered by self, the grace of God can enter and expel their obsession of self. So as you go against your own deepest instinct, and as you as we get into this defective character and we start reading the step four stuff, you're going to see that when you make these decisions that you think these things outside of you are going to bring you happiness, or you act in anger, or you act in lust, or you use somebody, or you fucking you're dishonest, you're actually going against your deepest instinct within you. God gave you something to guide your life and society teaches us to fucking do something different and we don't really understand this till we understand this so you're going against your own deepest instinct your own truth your own authentic truth your own god guidance system because your subconscious knows that you want to live in love and kindness but when you live in anger and violence you go against your deepest instinct so what happens in the subconscious where you can't see and your logical mind doesn't really see it is you create shame down there. And then you need to fucking relieve the shame by getting out of self. And the only way to get out of self is to act out in these defects again or drink. And that is the essence of this whole step. And a lot of these instincts we'll kind of get into as we start reading the four. But I'll finish with this. And I've said this before, out of all the step fives I've done, I think the biggest and number one thing why people drink and use drugs is because they've never been able to be who they were supposed to be. They've tried to be somebody else because society has told us to be a certain person. You know, I love what Jay Shetty says. He says, I'm not who, I'm not what you think I am. I'm not what I think I am. I am what you think I think I am or something like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to let Jesse talk and I'm going to get the book and I'm going to say it properly. Okay. Let's cool off from that a little bit. Um, a lot of good points. Bill's chatting about uh, the one main thing I want to, so there's two, there's two things I want to bring up. So Bill is talking about, you know, us carrying on in the defective character uh, you know, we end up going through the book. And to my point last time, when I'm chatting about people talking about, they're talking about more the fine tuning of the defective character. So like swearing and tardiness, that type of stuff. And in, in regards to the six, that's all I ever heard was those types of conversations, very light, very surface. And I remember when we first went through the six in the 12 and 12, 
It talked about overwhelming compulsions and desires. And I had never heard that type of language ever in regards to the defective character. I'd only heard that type of, um, that type of language in regards to the drink. And then at that moment, and I think Bill understood too, that the gravity of this thing wasn't exactly what it was packaged to be in the rooms. The opinions and the theories around this, we understood from our own experience burning it down, but from, from a, a literal sense, we understood that the gravity which was much larger than, than originally we thought it could be. So that being said, one thing I want to point out on this chapter is that, and even when I speak of step six in a room, I don't necessarily tell you what step six is. I mean, as we go through this chapter, this chapter will more highlight what step six isn't. And so because there's a lot of opinions and theories, and Bill had touched on, on one of them, which I'll lightly touch on, I'll, I'll uh, hammer it home on the next page, is that you pray this away, right? That's what you always hear is no, no, God takes care of that. I pray this away. And that's a fucking fool's paradise. If that's what you think this is, you're so far off the mark. You're not even in the fucking wheelhouse of what we're dealing with here. Because I don't just get the opportunity to pray this away live. Let's say even on precedent of to pray it away live action. What is my action from that prayer? So let's just go back, you know, so let's say, you know, thrown this, this guy who had my position before in the wood chipper, which I do want to fucking do. Um, and I don't take that opportunity. I'm given the opportunity, live action. I try and bring God in and my action is not doing it. Right. That's me walking hand in hand with the creator, not the creator doing everything. You'll find a lot of that. Like God does not do everything for me. Probably the biggest thing that this power has done for me, first and foremost, is relieve me of the obsession to drink. That's the most fucked, that's the biggest selling point on this power. If I am to tell an alcoholic on the street who's dying, shaken of alcoholism, that God has helped me in my relationship and career, what do you think he's going to say? I've been divorced for 20 fucking years and I haven't had a career in 15 and I've been on the street for 10. You think I give a fuck about that? But then I go on to say, you know, this. I start talking about the malady, start talking about the spiritual solution. Now it clicks and it just so happens I could use that spiritual solution in every other facet of my life. This is really what I want to hammer home though. And it's found in 557, step 5, 12 and 12. This is the top of the page. It seems plain that the grace of God will not enter to expel our destructive obsessions until we are willing to try this and willing to try the step five, right? So when we read, um, this will be the third paragraph when men and women, bottom of this paragraph, as they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by alcohol, the grace of God can enter them and expel their obsession, right? So the individual comes here humble. We sustain that humility up to the five and hammer it the fuck home. Then he does the meditation. He has the conscious contact. Now he's on his way. 
Only through humility does the individual have the ability to let God in, to expel his obsession. And the promises given to that are found in the five and 10. There's a direct linkage between uh, sobriety and inventory, right? So if that individual doesn't sustain or get a deeper level of humility, then God cannot enter into him and cooperate fully with him to um, in the removal of the defective character. So there's going to be a number of things that I did drinking that are almost, almost removed immediately. Then there's going to be other things that were dormant when I was drinking, but now with the absence of alcohol, they're going to be ramped the fuck up. Right. So you could have individuals who maybe alcohol somewhat subdued their anger, but without alcohol, now the restless irritable discontent, they're irritated and they'll fly off the handle at, at anything. And so when they act out in anger, it can be an overcompensation um, of the solution to drink missing. Does that make any sense? Are there any questions on that? This isn't necessarily a new point. This is something that we've chatted about before. But if you want to know what step six is, it's exactly this. And I want you to double underline this. I'm going to read it again. As they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by alcohol, the grace of God can enter and expel their obsession. The only difference from the step one of this power being able to enter us only through humility, being able to enter us and expel our obsession. The only difference from one to six is that God can enter us and cooperate with us in the removal and building of character. But without the humility, see, this is why, like, if you're going to try and do the latter steps without seven and the practice of humility, you could fucking forget about it. Right. When you start building this list, right, of the harms you've done, when you start meeting some of these people, right, based upon the harms that you've done to them, when you are trying to check in with God throughout the day, step 10, when you're sourcing the power, right, and then when you're acting out on the power, if there's not a baseline of humility through all of that, you will not do that. I mean, it's not much more difficult than that is why the practice of humility is so important, not only in the process, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the latter steps, but it is like the main ingredient of the building of character. For without that, there is no program. Without that, there is no humility. And eventually without um, humility, there is no sobriety. So it's fucking... And just to uh, reiterate humility, step six is the two, mostly the two bottom levels of humility. So for anyone that's new, you know, I always talk about humility comes in three phases, humiliation, humble through pain. And then a third phase is the desired phase, which is a desire to seek and do God's will. Step seven is fully based in the desire to seek and do God's will. But we have to go through the pains first. And there's a lot of humiliation and there's a lot of pain in the step six type of humility. But it's a necessary part of this. 
if God's going to build with me and do with me as thou wilt, and he's going to do the renovation within me, that means he's going to be stripping me down, pry bars and sawzalls and taking shit away that doesn't serve me anymore. And you got to think that the things that I've been using that I thought served me, if they get stripped away, it's going to fucking hurt because it's the only thing I know. And for me to try something different that I don't know is fucking hard too. So there's a lot of pain and humiliation in the, in the travel towards the step seven type of humility. And when we get to step seven, this will all make a lot more sense because step seven talks a lot about the step six humility, but then it, it icing on the cakes that, that puts the icing on the cake with the step seven humility. That's it. 64, bottom of the page. But most of our other difficulties don't follow, don't fall under such a category at all. Every normal person wants, for example, to eat, to reproduce, to be somebody in the society of his fellows. And he wishes to be reasonably safe and secure as he tries to attain these things. Indeed, God made him that way. He did not design man to destroy himself by alcohol but he did give man instincts to help him stay alive. It is nowhere evident, at least in this life, that our creator expects us fully to eliminate our instinctual drive. So far as we know, it is nowhere on the record that God is completely removed from any human being, all his natural drives. Since most, human, since most of us are born with an abundance of natural desires, it isn't strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purposes when they drive us blindly or we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfaction, satisfactions or pleasures that are possible or do us, that is the point at which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. That is the measure of our character defects or, if you wish, of our sins. If we ask, God will certainly forgive our derelictions, but in no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. That is something we're supposed to be willing to work toward ourselves. He asks only that we try as best we know how to make the progress in the building of character. <clears throat> okay, so these paragraphs Jesse read, it talks a lot about the instincts. We're getting into the instincts. And we're going to stop after we're done talking here. And we are going to go into step four where it goes into the instincts. So it's kind of priming us about these instincts. Every So bottom of 64. But most of our other difficulties don't fall under such a category at all. Every normal person wants, for example, to eat, to reproduce, or to be somebody in society of his fellows. Those are from the instincts. We want to eat. We need it. We need to stay alive. We want to fucking procreate. We want to have partners. We want to have community and be okay with our fellows. And we, he wishes to be reasonably safe and secure as he tries to attain these things indeed. God made him that way. That's how God made us. He gave us the desires for sexual relation, emotional, material security, and for companionship. These things are deep down inside of us that we, we just live with, we want. He did not design man to destroy himself by alcohol, but he did give him instincts to say a lot. Nowhere evident, at least in this life, our creator expects us to fully eliminate these instinctual drives. We're not going to eliminate them because we can't. They're part of us. They're the fabric of who we are. 
So as far as we know, it is nowhere on the record that God's completely removed any human being from all his natural drives. No, they're going to be there. So we got to learn how to work within them. Since most of us are born with an abundance of these desires, isn't it strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose? That's us. The alcoholic is the most extreme example of self-will run riot. So if here's, here's a circle of my desires, there's a circle of um, self-will, and I need to try to stay within this circle. But me, I fucking take my desires outside of the circle on all angles, and I start living in a continual state of disturbance because I'm trying to grab and take more of me than is possible or do me even. So I have to learn how to live within the circle of what God gave me, okay? But my self-will run riot actually extends far beyond that circle. And the further I get out of the circle, the more pain and unhappiness I cause myself. So any bit of depression or anger and trying to manipulate people in your life, trying to draw love out of people through manipulation, like these things just make us feel worse. And we'll get more into that in the next little bit here. And this is important when they drive us blindly, you can't see them because they're in the roots, right? They're in the roots. Or we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfactions or pleasures that are possible or do us. That is the point which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. That is the measure of our character <laughs> defects or if you wish our sins. So the character defects are anything outside the circle where I'm trying to grab and pry and manipulate the world, trying to twist the fabric of the world to give me what it is I think I need to be happy, to satisfy these instincts. But even when we get the things that we've tried to manipulate out of the world to satisfy our instincts, the problem is, is they don't really satisfy us. But if we ask God, he will certainly forgive our derelictions. But in no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without what? Our cooperation. God's going to forgive me. I have a loving and forgiving God. And I've done a lot of fucking harm to people. I've done a lot of harm in my life. But the God that, that I work with, he's a loving and forgiving God. And I, don't, I can't use that as an excuse to go out and be an asshole. I have to fucking be willing and honest without reservation to work on these things all the time. So I try my best, right? So he's not going to render me as white as snow and keep me that way without my cooperation. I got to do some shit here. That is something we're supposed to be willing to work towards ourselves. That's the second part from the other page where I have to work towards this. I have to bring it to the surface and I have to walk hand in hand with my creator. Like Jesse said, God ain't just going to do everything all the time. But what I've learned in my recovery is if I'm really willing to change, I'm really willing to try to do this shit. Sometimes God does 90% of the work because he knows my intention and I'm willing and I'm really trying. But then there's other times where I got to do 90% of the work. So it kind of, it's a relationship, right? When you're in an intimate relationship with a partner, it's actually a relationship the two people in the relationship, it's give and take. You know, sometimes one person has a lot of money and they lend it to their friend. And then that friend ends up paying it back by giving them things down the road. 
you know, one week this guy's emotionally unstable and they got to lean on their friend and the next week the other guy's emotionally unstable. It's a relationship. And that's how it works with God. And when you think of a relationship with human beings, you got to put time into a relationship with somebody else where you don't have a friendship or an intimate partnership. And if you don't make put work into that, you don't have the person there anymore. And that's the same thing we have to do with God is we got to build a relationship. If I don't talk to God, do you think he's going to fucking, of course, he's going to be there for me, but he's not going to like align with me all the time because I'm fucking only calling on him when I need him. I need to be like building a relationship with my creator. So I'm not alone. Anyways, um, ask that we only try the best we know in the progress of building care. That's it. Okay. So the instincts, we're talking about the God-given instincts and the examples that they give to reproduce um, reasonably safe and secure uh, somebody in the society of his fellows. So the fact that you want a better life for yourself and your children, the fact that you look at the opposite sex, um, all these things are God-given. It's just to what extent does it go to, right? So for me to get a new car, am I spending outside of my means? Am I draining bank, bank accounts? Am I remortgaging houses? What am I doing, right? To get a promotion, am I stepping on the toes of my fellows? Am I undercutting people? Am I overselling my performance? I'm, am I overselling myself, right? Uh, when I look at a woman, do I say that's a good-looking woman or do I take it to, you know, good-looking woman, shut it down, move on with my fucking life, or do I take it to another place? And these are all examples of God-given instincts gone astray, right? when they drive us blindly or we willfully demand that they su supply us with more satisfactions and pleasures that are possible or do us. And so when me and Bill originally were going through this, we were listening to a number of speakers and there was one speaker that I really enjoyed at the time. His name's Bob D or Bob Darrow. And Bob Darrow was able to really illuminate alcoholism for me. And what he would talk about, he would talk about getting something new or, or buying a new car and the shine of this material thing, the shine of the car or, or whatever he bought a relationship would wear off, you know, and then it would be the wrong car or the wrong color or whatever. And I thought this was so fucking funny because nobody had ever been able to illuminate that to me, but I had operated like that my whole life in the world of the material. And why I believe that is, is because I am putting more, I'm putting more satisfactions and pleasures on that car or that relationship that are even possible, right? Because before I buy the car, I'm obsessing about it, let's say for a month or two, right? And it's a very half-cocked emotional decision. Uh, and then there I am in the car, right? And so I had been bleeding it of satisfactions and pleasures way before I even got it. And by the time I get the car, it's already fucking milked, right? 
And then I start looking at everything that's wrong with them. Same with relationships and, and same with jobs and all this other stuff. And also too, these material things are fulfilling more than it was meant to in the way of character or in the way of my standing in the community. Instead of these material things being an extension of who I am, they are who I am, you know? What I drive, what I do is a piece of who I am. So if I am to lose these things, you know, it's absolute devastation. But I really like the do us. That fucking always makes me laugh. Because that means like I walk onto a job and I'm surprised I'm not VP of marketing already, right? You know, I, I, I am looking for pats on the back for things that I haven't fucking done. You know, that's who I am naturally. And what makes me laugh about that is I only really get pats on the back through my relationship with God and the extension of that, right? The absence of self and what I'm doing, you know, the ability to get out of my own way and give people credit, you know, the ability not to incessantly talk about myself and be more engaged in the individual that I'm talking about. This is what brings about opportunity. This is what brings about good performance. This is what brings about people actually wanting to be around you. And so when I get credit for these things, then all of a sudden, you know, pride and ego prop up. You know, people are giving me claps and really what they're clapping is my relationship with God. And then I hear these claps and I get this fucking gratitude and I get these achievements. And then all of a sudden, ego wants to come out, right? Ego wasn't there the whole fucking time, but you start giving me some clap. You know, you start all of a sudden, you know, ego comes, comes out to fucking play. And then I fuck the whole thing up. <laughs> Bill. Okay. Let's take a five minute break and then we'll. So now we're going to be in the four step four, 12 by 12. Give me a sec. So. The, the reason that we like to go from the six into the four and then back to the six is because the theory behind the six is so important to understand. And it's about that any person capable enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly over and over. Step six, relinquishment of the stuff, turning it over to God, you know, without reservation on all his faults has indeed come a long way spiritually. That's really important to fucking understand, but not on a surface level. So as we go into this four, you will see some of the defects that we live with in live action. And a lot of these are subtler ones. And these subtler ones are the ones that fuck us. Because I'm going to explain it like this. You got a tree. Okay. In the, in the book, in Bill's story, Bill says to God, I asked my newfound friend to remove these things, root and branch. Okay, we can't remove the roots first. We have to remove the branches. The branches are the defects of character that I started seeing in step four. In that fourth column, I get to see what shit is kind of fucking up my life. What type of behaviors is actually, how is my selfish, self-centeredness, self-seeking, self-pity, how is that actually screwing up my life? I get to see the branches. So if I'm working in a program and I just did my first step four and five, I'm not the branches. I start breaking the branches. 
right back towards the trunk. As you get closer to the trunk on the branch, the branch gets thicker. So the branch or the defect gets harder to break. Why? Because it's deeper in us. We can see it and the, the front parts are easy to see and maybe easy to start breaking. But as you get down the branch, it's, it's harder to break and it takes time. And then you get to the trunk of the tree. You can't just break the trunk of the trunk of the tree. You gotta, you gotta systematically over time break these pieces off going down the trunk. And then as you get down to the trunk where the roots are, now the roots, you can't see the roots. Where are the roots? How do they grow? Where do they grow? You don't know. Because that is our subconscious. That is where our actual problems arise from, is from those roots. And a lot of times the tree that you see above ground, actually it has twice the amount of root system under the ground than the tree that you see. So over the time that we work this program, we start relinquishing or breaking the branches. We get to the trunk and we get down to the trunk, we get to the roots. And the roots are the instincts. And the instincts are what drive everything, everything. That's why you can't just stop doing what you're doing because you're not actually in control of what you're doing because you're powerless in the defect of character. Like Jesse talked about the step one, we're powerless over the drink and we can allow God to enter and expel the obsession of drink while we're also powerless against our own behavior. So we have to bring God in and, and become willing to try to allow him to expel the obsession to act out in these behaviors. Because if I don't stop acting out in these behaviors, I will drink again. Because that is the manifestation of self. That is the actual restless, irritable, discontentedness. So this step four, the first page and a half, and we'll probably take some time to talk about some shit here. It talks all about the instincts. So that's it. <clears throat> okay. So step four, 12 by 12, page 42. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Creation gave us instincts for a purpose. Without them, we wouldn't be complete human beings. If men and women didn't exert themselves to be secure in their persons, made no effort to harvest food or construct shelter, there would be no survival. If they didn't reproduce, the earth wouldn't be populated. If there is no social instinct, if, mayor, if men cared nothing for the society of one another, there would be no society. So these desires for the sex relation, for material and emotional security, and for companionship are perfectly necessary and right and surely God-given. Yet these instincts so necessary for our existence often far exceed their, their proper function. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly, they drive us, dominate us, and insist upon ruling our lives. Our desires for sex, for material and emotional security, and for an important place in society often tyrannize us. When thus out of joint, man's natural desires cause him great trouble, practically all the trouble there is. No human being, however good, is exempt from these troubles. Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. When that happens, our great natural assets, the instincts have turned into physical and mental liabilities. Step four is our, is our vigorous and painstaking effort 
to cover what these liabilities in each of us have been and are. We want to find exactly how, when, and where our natural desires have warped us. We wish to look squarely at the unhappiness this has caused others and ourselves by discovering what our emotional deformities are. When we can move toward their correction without a, when we can move toward their correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. Without a searching and, and fearless moral inventory, most of us have found that the faith which really works in daily living is still out of reach. Okay. So I'm not going to talk a lot about the instincts other than there's four of them. Okay. And I've been a sponsor for quite a time now, and I've worked with a lot of people. And these four instincts are the core of every human being. Every human being has them. Even in the world of the material, those people have the same four instincts for emotional security, companionship, sex relation, and material security. We all want companionship. We all want um, sex, sex relation. We wanna procreate. We want to be secure in a place where we can be sheltered and have the things that we need, the necessity of, necessities of life so we can live. We want these things and emotional security. To me, emotional security is probably the biggest one out of them all. It probably drives almost everything that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. Yet these instincts that we need that are God-given, often uh, so necessary for our existence, often far exceed their proper functions. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly. That's really important. These things are powerful. They drive us blindly. You can't even see it. Many times subtly, all of a sudden, you're, you're just feeling one state of mind or one state of being, then all of a sudden, boom, there's a shot of anxiety. Or boom, this hot woman or man walks into a room and you fucking, now you're nervous. Or, you know, you get called on in a meeting and you fucking start anxiety and sweating. And the, the instincts are driving all of these fucking things. Powerfully, you don't have a choice, you're powerless over this shit blindly it just comes up out of nowhere you didn't see it coming many times suddenly boom there it is right right on you right now they drive us they drive our lives i'm driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-delusion think about that in the step three it says selfish self-centeredness is the root of my trouble driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-delusion my fear that I'm driven by is actually rooted in the instincts. And I don't really have a choice of it, which is why it says driven. I'm compelled by this force that I can't see or control. So it drives us, it dominates us. It insists upon ruling our lives. So what are we talking about? We're talking about your pursuit for status within, let's say, female females. Because females is a very competitive world out there. And females are always, you know, not all, but, you know, in general, I'm speaking, there's a lot of comparison and there's a lot of fucking competition. There's a lot of deeply ingrained social belief systems that have been indoctrinated into women right from their mom 
you know, you got to look like this. You got to, you got to act like this, sit like a lady, act like a lady, do all these things. And society's bombarding you with magazines and, and fucking TV and guys are fucking doing certain things. And you're developing these defense mechanisms and living up to this being that you might not really even be, but you have to fit in. Why? Because the instinct to be secure within the people that surround you drives you. And you don't really have a choice because you've never learned that you've had a choice because you just grew up in this. You're just a product of your environment. So then as we kind of, as the ladies move out into society, you know, there's a whole bunch of pressures on you to be a certain way. You know, the magazines, you know, build a woman to be like this. You know, a mother is supposed to be like this. Um, a wife is supposed to be like this. Instead of you just being who you are, you're supposed to live up to this thing. And it's no different for the men. It's really the same, exact same, just different. And we don't really have a choice in a lot of these behaviors because we never knew we had a choice because we were indoctrinated and we become a product of our environment. But as we do these things, as we live up to some of these behaviors, we actually are going against the truth of who we are. And it causes a lot of discord within us. So these things drive us powerfully, blindly, many times subtly. They dominate us. They insist upon ruling our lives. How do they insist upon ruling our life? Well, a guy who has an uh, instinct for sex relation that uses it far beyond what God intended, he will spend his days and nights trying to line up women so he can get laid over and over and over. This instinct for sex relation is driving him powerfully, blindly, subtly. But you know what? Some of society validates that. So then he doesn't really look like he's doing anything wrong. You know why? Because the other fucking six out of his 10 friends are doing the same thing. So he gets kind of reconfirmed that he's doing it okay. And maybe he treats women like shit. And in his deep part of him, he knows that that's wrong. But then when he goes and talks to his friends, they're like, I do that too. Yeah, that fucking bitch, blah, 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 whatever it is. And then he gets some type of validation out of it. But it's false integrity. It's not real integrity. It's like acting out in so many negative ways. And then you got to actually lie to yourself so you can look in the mirror. Because you got to live with yourself. So you got to tell your lies to yourself so that you can live with yourself. The problem is, is you're not actually getting away with anything because in your deep core of where God lives, you know. The fundamental idea of God is within every man, woman, and child, but it's often obscured, blocked off by calamity, pomp, and worship of other things. It's the worships of the women. It's the worships of the status. It's the worships of the ideologies. It's the worships of these things. And then the pomp is self. Being so self-concerned to try to fit in, it blocks me off from the fundamental idea of God. So they insist upon ruling our lives. So our desires for material, emotional security and for an important place in society often tyrannize us. Thus, when out a joint man's natural desires cause him great trouble, practically all the trouble that there is. No human being, however good, is exempt from these troubles. 
No human being is exempt because we all are driven by the instincts. Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. And me as a sponsor, I would say that that fundamentally is almost 100% true. Although there are people with grave emotional and mental disorders, they do have the capacity, if they have the capacity to be honest, they're going to do okay. The thing is, is that rigorous honesty in this program means accurate honesty. It doesn't mean I go at honesty with, with vigor and with force. It means accurate. So if you have a case of misdirected instinct and you're looking at your serious emotional problems, think of your own life. What's your, what's your own emotional deformities? You know, are you angry? Are you lustful? Are you a relationship hopper that doesn't be able to seem to fucking make anything work? Do you fucking cry at the drop of a hat? You know, do you fucking just shut down and not talk to anybody? Like, this is like getting accurate, looking at what and who I really am. And looking at this shit for real. The problem is the subconscious doesn't really want you to look at that shit. Why? Because it knows that it's pain or it's blinded to it. And we built the walls so thick in our subconscious that we can't even see it. But we got to really ask ourselves. And this is part of like the willingness to relinquish these things. Because if we don't know what it is, we can't fucking work towards its correction. And just like alcohol, until I accepted deep in my innermost core that I was an alcoholic, I couldn't move towards relieving myself of the issue until I accept in my deepest core that I'm judgmental, that I'm angry, that I'm lustful, that I have these things. And we're talking about humility. There's a lot of humiliation because my ego doesn't want me to admit that I have these fucking issues. So there's a lot of fucking humiliation and pain by even voicing some of this shit. But it's through the voicing of it and accepting of it that I can actually move towards its correction. Because this is the shit that's driving me. But if I don't fucking do anything about it, I'm actually resisting it and I'm pushing it away. But you're never really pushing it away. Why? Because whatever you resist will always persist. Whatever you try to push away always comes back. If you don't want to look at your relationships because you don't want to see the truth about yourself, you're going to continually get in the same relationship. Why? Because life's a lesson. And the lesson will be presented in your path over and over and over. And the beatings will continue until the lesson is learned. So we have to look at everything as, a, as something to teach us. And I talked a lot about circumstances made him willing to believe. We agnostics, the end of we agnostics. Circumstances made him willing to believe. What is this but a miracle of healing? If I'm willing to accept what my emotional deformity is, if I'm willing to bring God within that, in the circumstance, and then I do something different, that's the miracle of healing. I can start healing these broken parts of me down in the deepest part of the roots where it actually works from. But... Again, it takes great willingness and honesty and perseverance. Am I going to talk to my sponsor about my lust and my last week of sexual excursions of being a fucking asshole? Am I going to talk to him about my, my rage fit that I had? I don't want to. Why? Because I feel bad about it. 
Of course you do, because you're going against the core of who you are. But if you don't talk about it, if you keep letting it have the power and not give that to God, then that will run your life. And that will be self-will running your life more. So, um, great natural assets, the instincts have turned into physical and mental liabilities. So we're looking at spiritual health here. When the spiritual malady is overcome and it's the deep part, we straighten out mentally and physically. If I keep acting in these ways, I actually cause myself a lot of mental discord. And a lot of the mental illnesses in our society are coming from a spiritual sick perspective. And if I stay sick in the spiritual and the mental, because if I'm not okay spiritually in alignment with who I am, I will fucking not be okay mentally. And then there's anxiety. And there's all of these illnesses that are mental health illnesses. You notice in our society, everything is about mental health. Everything is about, let's fix the mental health. We're on the wrong track with that. It's because society does not look at spirituality or talk about God or talk about authentic truth because our society promotes the actor. So because we're not able to live true to who we are, we create a lot of mental illness within our own society. And then we focus on that. And somebody with the mental illness goes to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, here's this for your, your anxiety or for your depression or whatever it is. But it never gets to the root. We got to get to the root. So the main focus should be spiritual health. And we're lucky here. We have that ability to fucking dig down and find that. Because if I don't fix the spiritual, the mental will get sick. And if the mental stays sick too much, I will get physically ill. I will develop tumors and different illnesses. Because I'm not meant to leave my house and be scared of everything. Because I set off chemicals in my body and it's always living in fear. And if I live in fear and all these chemicals all the time, then I actually will create a physical sickness because I'm not meant to be that way. An animal, when he almost gets hit by a car, goes into fight or flight and fucking runs. And then 20 minutes later, he's grazing in the grass and he's forgotten about it. He doesn't stay in fear all day because he's not designed to. Neither are we. We're designed to fucking live in fear, flight or flight, and then fucking be okay. But our society has produced us to live in fear constantly. So we have to learn how to live a spiritual way of life so that we can calm that shit down. So that we can be okay in who we are. We can be authentic. I don't need to go out and people please because I'm afraid of conflict. I need to be confident, self-supporting in my own contributions of me, declining outside contributions of you to make me okay. I got to be okay with me. And if I'm okay with me, then you know what? I'll be okay with you. So I'll just finish off here. So step four is a vigorous and painstaking effort to discover what these liabilities in each of us have been and are. So vigorous and painstaking. It tells me there's going to be pain. And it tells me I got to be vigorous in this path forward with some of this work. And it's an effort to discover, to look for these liabilities and what in each of us have been, what have they been in my past? And what are they today? I have to kind of scan my life sometimes and go, what are the patterns from when I was a kid to a teenager, to a young adult, to an adult now? Am I doing the same things? Where did this come from? 
have been and are. We want to find out exactly how, when, and where our natural desires have warped us. How, when, and where did this natural desire warp me? Why am I so lustful? Why was I acting like that as a young adult or as a teenager? Where did it come from? Oh, you know what? I found my first porno magazine under my dad's bed at fucking eight years old and I stole it and I looked at it every day. And then I started the beginning of objectifying women. So the beginning, how, when, and where? This emotional deformity warped me? Well, it started way back when I was eight years old, when I found my first porno magazine. And I started looking at women as something that would satisfy men. So then I started treating women like an object for the rest of my life. And then I started watching porn. And then the same thing, it just got deeper. And then I actually found a woman who would let me treat her like that. So this, you get what I'm saying? How, when, and where? And with women, it's the same type of thing, right? And maybe we learn some of this from our parents. Maybe we watch mom and dad interact a certain way. So this is what I thought love was. So when I look at the pattern of all my relationships, love looks like controlling and possessiveness. And you can talk to them any way you want. But why am I single? Because it doesn't fucking work like that. But we're products of our environment. So I got to find out exactly how, when, and where. These natural desires warped me. And it's not always our fault. But we'll grow up thinking that we're just unlovable or nobody likes me or I'm not good relationships. I'm not blah, blah, blah. Really, you're just not who you're supposed to be. And you haven't risen to the water level to where you should be, where you want to be, who you want to be. And once you get there, which is why in the sex conduct, Jesse and I are huge on the safe and sound sex ideal. Because as we write the safe and sound sex ideal out, it says we live up to that. And the sex ideal is written in principle, not by fucking shopping list. Not blonde hair, big tits, blue eyes, blah, blah, blah. It's like somebody who's loving, who's kind, who, who lives a good character life. And then we live up to that. Why? Because water finds its own level. And then you won't accept things that you always accepted. You ever wonder, why do I accept this person in my life? They're an asshole. Why do I accept that man in my life? They treat me like shit. Because there's broken parts of us that we've never seen and we just accept things. So what we actually do is we sell out our soul. We sell ourselves out for something outside ourselves that doesn't actually fill that part of us. That's why God's so important in so many aspects. So we wish to look squarely at the unhappiness that this has caused others and ourselves. I have to look squarely at the unhappiness that this shit has caused others and myself. Maybe when I was younger, in my teenage years, in my adult years, in my later 30s and 40s, I got to look squarely at the unhappiness that this has caused other people and myself. And as we do the step five, Jesse and I talked a lot about like humiliation in that five, because if we're not humiliated, if we don't see the harm of what we do, we're not going to change. And if we don't see how this really fucks up our lives and others, we ain't going to change. So that's why the step five part was really important to generate a level of humility, groveling despair, so that that person goes, I don't want to live like this. I'm willing to change. So if you don't get enough humility in the five, then step six doesn't mean anything. 
And if step six doesn't mean anything, then you know what? The rest of the steps you can go through, but they won't really mean anything. And Jesse talked about it. Step six is kind of like from six to the end of the steps. Six is important, but five's important. Four is important. And that's why we spent so much time talking about the humiliation and the five, because six has to mean something. Because it, are we going to look at this shit? Are we going to try to change? Am I going to look for where it came from? But a lot of this stuff happens over time. So any of you people that are new, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep digging in because God's only going to reveal the roots and the, the trunk of that tree when you're ready for it. That's the other thing. You will never dig all this up at once. And if you do, you'll probably want to jump off a bridge. So just be patient. Um, by discovering what our emotional deformities are, we can move towards their correction. I need to discover what they are, accept what they are, and move towards correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there will be little sobriety. The people that don't work on these defects drink because they're living in self and or contentment for us. Jesse talked about the old timers who are miserable because they've never understood how important the step is. And they just thought that fucking drinking was the end of it, not drinking. For Without a searching and fearless moral inventory, most of us have found that the faith that really works in daily living is still out of reach. I want the faith that works in daily living all day, every day. And this process is self-sacrifice so I can be more of constructive action. And then my faith is fucking vital. It fucking lifts me up and it takes me to good places. Anyway, that's a long flapping of my gums go ahead Jess. fuck that was a spiel and a half i was like 25 minutes god bless you i tuned out probably 10 minutes ago and then i started laughing i'm just like holy fuck is he still going that's typical it's typical of bill in uh step six and i mean you know if you are even somewhat engaged and you even pick up a quarter of what this guy's talking about you know and you apply even 10% of what he's talking about, you got something, you know, you got much more in 10% of that man's conversation than you're going to get, um, you know, in the rooms. And, you know, this, this idea, I just really, the, the idea that our society in the Western world and, you know, Canada or North America, that, you know, it's, it's decadent and you know there's bad here and women get treated this way and women are held to this standard and men are held to this standard and i understand what bill's talking about he's talking about from childhood right and i can't tell you how many times you know i've worked with a man um and you know we're chatting about what happened when he was a little kid and shit like that and it's like yeah some trauma has happened there some trauma has happened for me no doubt and uh but that was like fucking, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this guy like, yeah, that was 40 years ago. You know what I mean? And you're a grown fucking man, you know? One of the biggest things about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and one of the biggest things that was impressed upon me when I was young is something called personal responsibility. I don't know if you've caught on to this yet, but this is a very big theme throughout the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? So yeah, some bad things have happened to me. I did some bad things, right? I recognize that I was a child. We shut that the fuck down. I move on with my life. What happened with my mother and father? I was a child. 
understand it, chat with somebody about it. I'm able to help other men through it. I move the fuck on with my life, right? So, you know, like Bill had illuminated some things that are impressed upon women. There are some things that are impressed upon man. You know, be a man, shake it off. Uh, you know, you have to support, you have to support a family, you have to support a woman, yada, yada, yada. Now I've seen many men fall into that category and fall into the category of a loving relationship with the opposite sex and loving relationship with children. No God and they're happy. Right? And so when we go through, we agnostic, I don't know if you remember the example of love. I had said the example of a of the God-given love that a man or or mother, that a father, that a mother will have for their children. That's what we're talking about, that lightning in a bottle. And they're actually able to tap into this love without um, you know, the box of love, without the church, without all these other things. They have a main line to this, right? Like, fuck, to be perfectly honest with you, there's only one man I have ever met in my life that was as alcoholic in the realm of the material as alcoholics are in the realm of the material without the booze. Like, we are a different class. We do have to work. And once we do the work, take on the personal responsibility, start packing into the stream of life. We really start to become just a normal fucking human being. Dealing with the the experience, the human experience. Like my neighbor who lives next to me, he's an insurance salesman, you know? And this guy doesn't live an overly extravagant life. Has a couple kids. He just bought a brand new Ford Bronco. This thing's fucking beautiful, you know? And he's packing into the stream of life. He's paying his taxes, trying to do the best he can for his kids. And I see him now and then. And... Does he look so miserable that he wants to blow his brains out? When I see him, do I think to myself, fuck, that guy's one inch close to blowing his fucking brains out. No, no, I don't think that. You know, I see him, he generally has a smile on his face. He's just an average man, right? Personally responsible, you know, taking care of his household, trying to make a few extra bucks kids through college and here he is driving a brand new fucking vehicle you know and that's fucking most people do most there's i can't tell you how many men like i said they get satisfaction out of the family they get feelings of god or you euphoria or getting out of themselves through the families a lot of men i know volunteer give their give to their community. That's a common thing of most fucking people. But alcoholics were so behind that eight ball that we need to be brought up to speed and we need to be told to do these things. I need to be told to pay my taxes. I need to be told to keep my house in order. I need to be told to vote, to get involved, to help people. These people just know that. Where does that come from? Well, I mean, that comes from our society. The very precepts of our society is actually half fucking decent. There is a good reason. Like, I can be whoever the fuck I want to be in the society. If I want to be a sloppy, crooked fuck, I can be that. If 
I want to be a good man, I could be that. If I want to climb a corporate ladder, I could do that. If I want to run a business, I could do that. If I want to get a log cabin out in fucking BC and be a goddamn hermit, welcome. There's fucking freedoms here. The problem with the alcoholic is just simply this, is it's always somebody else's fault. I was fucked. I got a raw deal. It's fucking their, it's the government. You know, I'm on the government dolies that they're not giving me enough money. Fucking yada, yada, this, you know, if my parents, you know, paid a little bit more attention to me, if I got a little bit more love as a child, if I, like my father was a crackhead, my mother was a prostitute. And it's funny because my significant other goes through, she's been doing all this work and social work and all this other shit. And she, uh, you know, has learned a whole bunch of shit uh, about children when they're young at a certain age and how it's so important and blah, blah, blah. And she says that as per my life and as per the medical fraternity, I should be absolutely fucked with no goddamn shot. And it's God, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I don't only have a shot at just living life. I have the opportunity to live the best life. Because when I am combating all these things, I haven't taken into account who I am. And when I do that, I understand who I am. I actually understand what I would like in my life. So when I volunteer, I volunteer with things of purpose, right? When I get into hobbies, it's things of purpose. When I get a career, it's what I actually want to do. It's all of it. I could live my absolute best life understanding who I am. Now, Bill had mentioned something that is extremely important. And it actually comes right out of Bill's own experience. Me and Bill uh, joke quite often, and maybe it's R-rated jokes, but this is what you can do when you understand somebody quite well. And so I understand Bill, Bill well, well enough. And I know I had always joked with him is that he's not typically native. I, I would always joke with him that he is probably more white than native. And me and him have always kind of laughed about this. And the thing about that is, is that he renounced his own culture throughout his life, right? And in a lot of respects, he has renounced who he is as a human being, as a person. And throughout his recovery, he's been able to get back to his culture, who he is, and properly align himself. Because in renouncing his culture and his situation, which is no different than most, uh, who they are, where they come from, these types of things, and doing that, he will never be properly aligned. He will always be out of skew. And so not only the spirit will be out of skew, but the mental will be out of skew. And in turn, the material and what he manifests will always be out of skew. And so when I do step fives and same with Bill, that's probably one of the biggest fucking things is this individual renouncing maybe where they come from, maybe their nationality, maybe their fucking culture, renouncing that. And it's only when I accept all of that can I be met where I am today and be a full aligned person. 
See, what I shared to you about my parents and shit like that, I would never tell anybody that, right? Partially because I'm trying to overcompensate with that and much with Bill, trying to overcompensate with some of these things that he believes are lacking in, in society or society looks down upon that, but now we can own that much like me. It is a, it is a part of my story. But by no means is it the main part of my story. See, I could rewrite that. And you can do that through too, but you could only do that through this power. I, could, I cannot rewrite anything on my own will because I don't have the needed power. Like how many times have you tried to start something and there's no follow through? That's my life. My life is a big start. It's a big starting point with very little follow through, with very little finishing, right? Because I don't have the will. I have the will to start fucking everything, dude. I'm going to do this, it's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. And the follow through, large promise, poor performance. Before I got sober and started throwing some action into my life, building some character, sponsoring some guys, doing all the things, that's what my life was, was large Large promise, poor performance. And I am a little bit of a salesman as well. So I could fucking talk a good game. No, no fucking problem there. But the follow through, you ask me a couple months down the road. Hey, Jess, how's this going? Hey, you know what the fuck you're talking about? I've no idea. No. No, I think that's about it. Okay. We're going to shut her down. Uh, I guess any questions? You want to do questions for maybe five minutes? You guys have any questions at all on some of the shit we talked about? It's pretty comprehensive. I mean, we got through no fucking information and you can expect that. That does not change. In fact, it probably gets worse. We're going to go through less information and probably talk more. You guys, uh, you getting the basic general ideas of kind of what step six is though? Okay, that's good. An important step. Um, and as you can see why we're in the four and we're talking a lot about the five, we're talking about the one, we're talking about God, which is two, we're talking about relinquishing it over three, like all these steps, they work in communion with each other. They don't work singularly, they all work together. And that's how the program actually works. And as you work the real program over time, you start to just live this. You work the program till the program works you. And then that step seven type of humility becomes a way of life. And in step seven, and I do believe fundamentally step seven is the full surrender step to this whole program. And I will prove that as we go through the literature when we do step seven. But one of the lines is the most profound result of all is our change in our attitude towards God because God becomes the attitude and we're actually walking hand in hand with our creator. The consciousness of that little belief is sure to come to us and it does come to us, but it comes to us by working the full system together. And a lot of that system is step six. A lot of the system is picking up the phone, talking to someone about your problems or your successes, step five, doing the inventory, step four, step 10, turning it over, step three, six, seven, 10, 
sponsorship. Jesse talked about a lot of these deep-rooted things that he's been through. Well, a lot of his healing has come through working with other men. You know, he's a full-blown sex addict. His very first sponsee was a full-blown sex addict. Because God has a way of knowing what we need to heal us. And if we're willing and open enough, he'll present the situations in our path when our intentions and our motives are right. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. And that's kind of what this step is about. It's about clearing ourselves of the wrong motives so our thought life can be placed on a higher plane. Because after all, faith alone is insufficient. To be vital. And think about the word vital. It means two things. It means it's important. But for us later, it means it's, it's about living life. It must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. The self-sacrifice is understanding self in the moment and sacrificing it with the help of God because we can't do it on our own. And then we become useful, unselfish constructive action, which is altruism. And when it talks about in step three, if we stayed close to him and performed his work well, well, staying close to him and performing his work well, most of us think that performing his work well is just going out and doing all of the actions, being nice and doing shit for people. Well, part of God's work well is relinquishment of self. That is part of God's work. And I get to stay close to him and perform his work well. And then what does it say? I will get what I need and I will fucking start to feel the flow of them into me. And there's so many things and that's all step three and step three. Actually, those same promises are actually coming true when you read step 10 literature. So this all works together and the self-sacrifice, in my opinion, is one of the biggest steps to get you closer to God. And then the step 11 changes. The step 11 really becomes a real power step where you really access power. But that comes through the work on these other areas first, right? Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover. One person, one family one community at a time.